Well, I think by now probably everybody on the planet, at least in the free world, eBay commercials, right? The it. I love those commercials. You know, you see the steak on the grill in the shape of the letters IT and the woman wearing the diamond engagement ring, the diamonds in the shape of the letters IT, the woman wearing the gown, you know, with the whole front of it in the shape of the letters IT, it. And those commercials were so big and so much fun that they sort of got into the, into the, the fabric of pop culture, it. And after all, eBay is kind of exciting, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I've never bought anything on eBay, but I've been on the site a lot of times. And, you know, for, for those of you who maybe have been, you know, asleep for the last 20 years and just woke up today, just let me tell you that eBay is an online auction site where you can auction off just about anything in the world or you can buy just about anything in the world on eBay. Any kind of car, any kind of piece of clothing, you know, any junk, I mean, that anybody doesn't want, it's on eBay. And even here at the church, you know, we try to make sure that we spend the least amount of money on, on anything that we need. Many times a, we'll, a part will break or we'll need some obscure piece of equipment. First place we check, eBay, because somebody may be trying to dump it for 30 cents, you know. And so eBay is wonderful. You can get it, whatever it is. That's what was behind the marketing strategy of the commercial. Whatever it is, no matter how obscure, uh, no matter how small, no matter how rare or odd, how cheap or how expensive, whatever it is, you can get it on eBay. But that's not what got my attention and, and caused me to think about this particular concept. It was what happened secondary to that, because as eBay's commercials begin to you know, spread, people begin to talk about it. And I especially begin to read about the usage of the term in business periodicals and sports periodicals or on sports television. People begin to talk about that, that indefinable quality that would separate business leaders or sports figures from the rest of the pack. This CEO, this guy, this woman's got it. We don't know what it is, but she's got it. The way she runs the company Man, it's never been run like that before, you know, bottom line's never been as good as it is today, and stock is up, and man, just navigating, navigating all the complexities of the financial world. You know, you can't teach that in college. She's got it. He's got it. Then I watched as it started to sort of ripple through the sports world. You know, Drew Brees, man, you know, had that shoulder injury, and and, uh, you know, San Diego let him go, and New Orleans picks him up, and wow, what a season. Man, Drew Brees has got it. We just don't know what it is, but Drew Brees has it. Tony Romo, man, came out of nowhere. Tony Romo's got it. And I started hearing that and thinking about that and, and wondering, well, what is it? And more importantly, because after, you know, a million years after this world is over, who will care about <clears throat> the performance of a particular company, or, or certainly who would care about a, a football game, you know, 22 guys out there on the field and a guy running up and down the field with a bag of zipped up air. I mean, who's going to care about that? But what we will care about is our, our, our walk with God. And, and what is it? And the more I read those periodicals and, and heard, I began to think, you know what, there really very clearly is an it in your relationship with God. And I bring this sermon series to you for a particular reason. In our church, Messiah is made up of a, of a wonderful mix of individuals. And it's growing and becoming more of this wonderful mix all the time. Some of you have been followers of Jesus for a long time. And you've learned a lot. You have a lot of knowledge about the Bible. You even have some Bible trivia. 
You can wax your friends when you play Bible trivia. Does anybody play that anymore? I don't. But anyway, you've been around for a long time. And you've learned a whole lot. And on the other hand, some of you, you know, you've just begun to discover who Jesus is and you just started following him a short time ago. And then others of you, maybe you're, you're still not sure if you're going to follow Jesus or not, but you're, you're open and you're here and you're, you're interested enough to, to attend worship here. And it's to those second two groups, actually it's to everybody, but sometimes the people who follow Jesus for a long time think they know everything and they're the slow ones and I have to come in the back door with them, so I want those second two groups to know that. Um, but what I want you to understand, and somebody, somebody could say, well, Mark, I, I've just started following Jesus and and I come into church and I think, wow, I don't know a lot of this stuff and I don't know how to carry my Bible, I don't know how to look and I don't know all the stuff that all my friends seem to know. They got reams of a Bible study notes that they've taken through the years. Here's what I want you to understand. That when it comes to following God, God narrows it down to one thing. That's right. There's just one thing you need to know. And if you know this thing, it will take care of everything else. And if you don't have this thing, you can have all the Bible studies in the world and it will get you absolutely zero nowhere. You can look like a Christian. You can be in church for years. You can, you know, you can, you can talk to people about God, but if you don't have it, you, you'll, you'll be nowhere. So isn't that cool? I mean, it kind of puts us all on level ground, doesn't it? I mean, when we get it down to one thing, it, then it's just very clear that we can all today enjoy what we're going to learn from God. Because whether you just started following Jesus or you've been following Jesus for 50 years, it all comes down to it. What is it? Well, I'm giving it away because you can see behind me, it is faith faith is everything i have some verses that i want you to hear this morning i want you to hear most of these jesus himself said i want you to listen to the scope and the breadth and the awesome nature and and just the signature value of this important thing that we're talking about today this is what jesus said in mark 9 verse 23 anything is possible if a person believes now that's just real simple but think about how ma massive that statement is Anything is possible if a person believes. Let me read another one just like it. Matthew 17, verse 20. Jesus said this. I tell you the truth. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Now think about that. Nothing would be impossible. Here's what Jesus said. If you had faith, nothing would be impossible. I see, that's what I'm trying to say. You can go to church for years and learn all kinds of stuff. But if you don't get this, you'll miss everything. I, mean, I want you to just say that with me for a moment. I, because see, here's what I'm scared of. I'm scared that many people will hear this series and they'll just kind of like, wow, Mark had a nice message today. But I don't want it to be like that. Even if I stumble all over myself trying to get the words out, I want you to get what this is. Because the, the massive nature of what Jesus is saying is awesome. Now, I'll, I'm going to make a statement, and I want you to repeat it after me, and I want you to internalize this, and I want you to know it. Here's the statement. If I had faith, nothing would be impossible. Now, I want you to say it out loud with me, and I want you to think about this. I mean, even if you don't believe it yet, just say it with me. If I had faith, nothing would be impossible. One more time. If I had faith, nothing would be impossible. Well, let me just keep going here. Jesus said, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Now think about that. I mean, is this, is it it? Is it it? It is it, isn't it? 
Jesus said it is, it is impossible to please God without faith. Let, let's go on the other side of those brackets. Romans 14, verse 23. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. That's it, isn't it? I mean, because Jesus said if you had it, nothing would be impossible, and you can't please God without it. And if you do anything and it's not with faith, it's not only not working, it's sin. Okay. Matthew 9, verse 29. Jesus said, according to your faith... Will it be done to you? You know what that's telling you? Let me put that in, in, in Texas English for you. <laughs> what Jesus is saying there is, faith's going to determine your outcomes. Now, that, now that's big to me. I mean, Jesus is saying, according to your faith, it's going to happen. So that means faith will determine my outcomes. Not circumstances, not situations, not education, not money, not expertise, not ingenuity, not talent. Faith will determine your outcomes. According to your faith, it will be done to you. This is the epitaph on Jesus' work in one particular community. In Matthew 13, verse 58, the Bible says, He did not do many miracles because of their lack of faith. He did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. So they didn't have it. I don't know what they had. They may have had religion. They may have had worship services. They may have sung songs. They may have listened to Bible messages. But he didn't do work there because they didn't have it. And listen to this, and this is in Luke 18. This, this is really important to us because we're probably a lot closer to the second coming of Jesus than these people were in the first coming. So this verse is about the second coming. Listen to this, Luke 18, 8. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What's Jesus looking for when he comes back? Is he looking for people that can stand up in front of a group of people like me and talk? Is, is, is the Bible saying when Jesus comes back, is he looking for preachers who can speak with great ability? Is he looking for singers who can wow the crowd with their microphone? Is he looking for people that have great opportunity or great abilities? The Bible says when Jesus is coming back, he's looking for people who got it. Because it will separate you from the rest of the pack. And when Jesus found it, he loved it. And when he didn't find it, it disappointed him. And the irony is he often found it in the last people you would think who would have it. And he often didn't find it in the first people you would think who would have it. So we're going to talk about it, it for the next few weeks. And I got some things that I wanted to do to help you remember it. For instance, today, Gatorade's going to kind of be in our message because the title of this morning's message is, Is It In You? So every time you see Gatorade, I want you to think about faith. You know, next week, and you've got to be really old to remember this slogan, it's the real thing. A lot of people have the idea that faith is some sort of nebulous thing, that religious stained glass thing that religious people do. Hey, it, it's the real thing. When you see Coca-Cola, I want you to remember faith. And on and on it goes. It keeps going and going and going. That's a message coming up. Every time you see that Energizer bunny, if he's still around, I want you to think about faith. It helps the hurt stop hurting. When you pick up a little container of Bactine, I want you to think about faith. So all these messages, you know, even if you have an American Express card, last message, don't leave home without it. You're gonna, we're going to talk about faith time and time and time again because faith is it. If there's one ser sermon series that I want you to be here for, and I want you to be here for all of them, but if there's one sermon series to be here for every week, you want to be here for it, because it is everything. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are saying, Mark, I tried it, and it didn't work. Let me explain to you why many people don't understand what faith is all about. There are two big mistakes to make about faith. 
One mistake is, I kind of hinted about it a moment ago, one mistake to make about faith is the idea that faith, you know, there's fact here and then there's faith, and faith is for religious people, fact is for real world people, and when, when in the real world you get into some situation that there's no explanation for, why you just got to throw the ball up and hope for the best, that's faith. That's not what faith is at all. You know, some of you, you know, you, you come here maybe from very scientific backgrounds or very studied backgrounds, and you're just saying, well, faith is what religious people do. It's the religious people's gig, and maybe there's some value to faith. And even the secular world will say that. You know, it doesn't really matter what your faith is in, but there's some value, there's some sort of psychological benefit to faith. That's a huge mistake to make, and it has, no, it has no, nothing close to what faith is about. Then there's the other mistake that many of us make, and I've made this mistake before. And the reason why many people say I tried it and it didn't work is they begin to believe that faith is wanting something and, and, and believing that God is going to do that particular thing. And they, you know, they really ramp up their believing and they ramp up their faith, and it doesn't happen, and then they just sort of lose hope. For instance, there's probably not a more antagonistic public person who's more anti-Christian than Ted Turner. I mean, Ted Turner said Christianity is for losers. He's called Christians bozos. And so we hear him come up with those kind of statements, and we think, wow, man, here's a guy that just hates Jesus, and he's never been religious, never been a Christian. And he, I'm sure he never has really known the Lord. But what you might not know about Ted Turner, when he was a teenager, he wanted to follow Jesus, read his Bible every day. He wanted to be a missionary. But his sister became ill with a type of cancer. And he prayed every day that God would heal her. And he believed that God would heal his sister. And when he didn't and she died, he turned his back on God. That's what many of us do. But that's not what faith is. See, we have the idea sometimes that faith is just believing that God is going to do the thing or do a particular situation or solve a situation that we want to see solved very badly. And then when we, we believe and it doesn't happen, we throw faith away. What I want you to begin to think about today is I want you to think about faith in a whole different way because this is what the Bible, as I understand it, this is how the Bible characterizes and defines for us what faith is. Let's take the letters of, of, of our series, IT. Two letters, I-T. I want you to begin to think about the I standing for infuse. Infuse. Because the first thing that faith does is faith infuses us with God's power. And then the T stands for transform. Because what happens in faith is this. It's not that we're believing that God's going to do some particular thing for us. It is understanding that we now are connected with God. Faith is being convinced that God is God, God is right, and that God keeps his promises. That is what faith is. God is God. By that it means he can do anything that he's all-powerful, that God is right, and that's the hard one because most of the time the reason why most of us can't have faith is we think we are right, and that God always keeps his promises. Now, if you can live your life absolutely, totally convinced that God is God, that God is right, and God always keeps his promises, then you will have faith. And the wonderful thing about that is, is that you won't be living by your power, you'll be living with God's power. Faith is what connects you to God. I want you to think about a couple of metaphors this morning. Um, this is a vacuum cleaner. Somebody had to tell me, one of the ladies had to tell me what this is. But, no, it's not really true. I've known for a long time. And by the way, notice that it says down here someplace, it says Hoover, right there. 
Now, there's a great church in Canton, Ohio that I speak at a lot, and, and Canton, Ohio is the world headquarters for Hoover. And it's kind of fun because when I check into the hotel, it's right there by the, the plant, and when they find out my name, several times they've said, are you one of the Hoovers? And I said, of course I am. I don't know who the, the Hoovers are, but I assume that I'm one of them. Um, but we know what a vacuum cleaner is designed for, right? It's designed to pick up dirt, yeah. Our houses get dirty, carpets get dirty, dusty. And, and this is what this thing has been designed for. It's been designed to pick stuff up and make things clean. Now, so let's, I've got sawdust or something here, dust on the, on the floor. Let's try it out, all right? All right. Still there, isn't it? You think there's something wrong with the design of this machine? Maybe it doesn't, maybe it doesn't work. Well, I should try harder, right? I just described a whole lot of our Christian lives. We, we think, well, I'm saved. I'm, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior, but it's not working. So maybe I need to try harder and, and join different Bible study or whatever. And maybe if I just keep trying, I'm going to be fine. What should I do here? Plug it in. Yeah. Because, see, here's the deal. Here's, why, here's, what, here's, here's the salient fact here. Out there somewhere in our region, Westar has power plants. There are massive turbines out there. And, and, and the, these turbines are fueled by, by coal and by natural, natural gas and nuclear power. And these huge turbines are cranking out 6,000 megawatts of electricity. Now, a megawatt is a million watts of electricity. In fact, Westar creates enough energy to power 6 million homes. Now, what is really cool about this is this insignificant little vacuum cleaner that looks kind of dirty and cheap. I mean, it, it's such a small, unimportant thing, but see, when I connect it to Westar... I don't want any of you to tell Mary Alice I know how to do this. It works. Isn't that awesome? Because when this thing is plugged in, it has access or it accesses 6,000 megawatts of electricity. Here's what faith does. Faith allows a very ordinary guy named Hoover to access the power of God. It infuses me with power. And just like this vacuum cleaner transformed the environment once it was powered, it allows me to transform the environment in my life. It infuses and it transforms. Now, our, our message this morning is called, Is It In You? And I got the idea from Gatorade because I love the Gatorade commercials. And I especially like the one with Keith Jackson. I love Keith Jackson's kind of retro commercials. In fact, I want you to check this one out right now. Since 1978, the Hawaii Ironman's 140-mile human blast furnace has scorched the circuitry of the world's fittest athletes. Like pro triathlete Chris Lee, who in 97 would bow to the unforgiving terrain of Kona. I was so dehydrated, my body just shut down with 50 meters left. It was like watching a train wreck in slow motion. It was hard to watch, let alone film. At that point, the race meant nothing. 
Six years of setbacks landed Chris at the Gatorade Sports Science Institute. Well, like most athletes, Chris had no idea how much sweat he was losing. With a new hydration strategy in hand, Chris snapped the tape at the 2004 Ironman quarterly. I guess this stuff works. And Gatorade continues to fuel athletes everywhere. From the hardwood to the gridiron, to the lava fields of Hawaii, the games never end. And the legend continues. Hey, I love that. Kudos to my tech team because they can find anything. I love that commercial. Because, yeah, give them, let them know how much you appreciate those guys, those ladies. Whenever I watch that commercial and I see that poor athlete staggering around and falling, I think that's a picture of a lot of Christian people right there. And sometimes it's a picture of me. I don't want to be that guy staggering around. I want to be the guy crossing, crossing the finish line. I want to be the guy breaking the tape. That's what this series is about. How do we get the place from being spiritually weak and staggering around to being the person that God developed us to be? That's what the message is about this morning, and the, the sermon title, Is It In You? Take your Bibles, if you have them this morning, and look in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8. Matthew, chapter 8. What we're going to look at today is two stories in the same chapter, and they're all about faith. And we're going to see how the faith was in one guy, and it wasn't in some other guys. So let's take our Bibles and look in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. The Bible says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed paralyzed in terrible pain. Now, the other Gospels tell us a little more about the story. This is an unusual Roman centurion. Most Romans could care less about the lands that they occupied, but this guy did. In fact, the Jews would would tell Jesus, do something for this guy because he loves us very much. He built us a synagogue. And also Luke tells us that, you know, Matthew says here that he was a slave, uh, a servant, but Luke, uh, Luke says he was a slave. And again, most Romans could have cared less about their slaves. If one of them died, you just get another one. But this centurion was very concerned about the slave because he was sick and he was so ill, he was in bed and paralyzed with pain. And he came to Jesus, or actually he sent some people to Jesus and asked Jesus to do, this, do something for him. Verse 7, Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have, the authority of, uh, I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. So if we look at this Roman centurion and we ask him, is it in you? The answer comes back, yes, it's in him. Because Jesus said, I've never seen this in anybody like this guy. He's one of the last people you would think who would have it in him, but he did. I mean, he, he came from a pagan background. He had a rough life. He was there in, 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 to keep order. We wouldn't think about this guy as being a tender-hearted, faithful man, but it was in him, and Jesus said, I mean, how would you like to have Jesus say about you, I haven't seen anything like that anywhere? I mean, he's been talking about faith, and he's been trying to get it across to all the people that it was it, but when he saw it in this centurion, he said, now that's what I'm talking about. That's what I want to hear Jesus say about me. Now, let's look at the other side of the coin. This is late in the same chapter, verse 25 verse 23, sorry. Then Jesus got in the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. 
The disciples went and woke him up shouting, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. That's the it. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. Now, let's think about those two stories for a moment. What about those two stories is similar? I think there are three things. Number one, there was a problem. In in story number one, there was a, a slave who was sick. He was in bed, he was paralyzed, and he was in pain. In the second story, there was a storm. So in both situations, there was a problem. Are we tracking yet? How many of you have a problem? You don't have to raise your hand. Just want to know, how many of you have a problem? All right, well, we just hit every one of us just about, right? Okay. Number two, second thing about these problems was that there was nothing any human being could do about the problem. Now, when a person's lying in bed, sick, paralyzed, doctors obviously couldn't help this guy. There, he had a problem nobody could do anything about. And who can do anything about a storm? So there, were, there was a problem nobody could do anything about. Here's the third thing that I find significant about both those stories. Jesus was available. Jesus was available to both, to both situations. The centurion knew he was in town, and the disciples had him in their very boat. So those three things are the same. By the way, those, those three things are the same about you and me right now. You have a problem. I'm sure everybody does. Number two, you probably have a problem that nobody can do anything about. And then number three, I want you to know Jesus is still available. He's as available, he's even more available to you than he was to the centurion and to the disciples. But now that's where things diverged. You remember the poet who said two roads diverged, and he said, I chose the road less traveled, and that's made all the difference? Well, that's what happened here because the centurion certainly took the road less traveled. The disciples took the the broad road that most people take. They reacted very differently. They both had problems. They both had problems that nobody could do anything about. Jesus was available, but their reactions were totally different. With the centurion, he had it in him. He had confidence that Jesus was God, that Jesus could do anything. He, he was confident that Jesus had all power. He was secondly confident that uh, Jesus was right, and thirdly, that he would keep his word. And so he asked Jesus to come help his servant. The disciples, on the other hand, they went to pieces. And in Mark's gospel, the Bible will tell us that they actually begin to blame Jesus or they actually insulted Jesus. Because they said to him, you don't care about us. Don't you care that we perish? How many of us are, are at that very place? We ask God for help, but then when God doesn't come through, it's like, well, I, God, what's the matter with you? I thought you were going to help me. Faith is being totally convinced that God is God, God is right, and God always keeps his promises. Now let's go back to that centurion for a few moments because there's something that I think is just absolutely important here for those of us who wanted something very badly and we believed that God was going to do it and he didn't come through and now we're beginning to question whether faith is it. The centurion teaches us the, the most important lesson of all. Think about this for a moment. The centurion was saying, you know, My servant is sick, and he's paralyzed, and he's in bed, but that's not what matters because you have authority over sickness. And he was saying also, you're here, and he's there, but geography doesn't matter because you have authority over geography. And the the centurion was saying, I'm not worthy that you should come into my house, and you are worthy, but not even that is what matters here. All that matters is that you speak the word because I understand authority and you've got authority over my situation. 
When the centurion said, hey, I, I have guys over me. They tell me to do something. I don't discuss it with them. I, I, don't, I don't kick it around to see whether I want to do it or not. If a guy's in authority over me, he says, come, I'm there. And he said, I have guys under me, and when I tell them to do something, they don't kick it around, discuss it. They just do exactly what I told them to do. And that's what he used. He used that story to say, you've got authority over what's bugging my slave, and all you have to do is just say the word because you've got authority. That, ladies and gentlemen, is ground zero of faith. See, it's not saying, it's not like rubbing the lamp and God comes out as a genie and just does whatever you want because that would put you in authority. In fact, I think many times when we tell God exactly what we want, God doesn't give us exactly what we want because if he did, even though we say God is in authority, really when it gets down to it, we would still be the one in authority because we'd be telling God what to do. How many of you have asked God for help and then God sort of answers your prayer but it's in the totally backward, 180 degree way than you thought he was going to act? The reason why he does that, he just wants to remind us he has authority here. And faith says, I don't have any problem with that. Faith says, I'm just going to kneel here below your authority, and I'm sick, and I don't know what you're going to do about it, but I believe you're God, and you're right, and you always keep your word, and you've got authority over my situation, so I'm going to put it in your hands. Now, I don't have a job this week, and I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills, but I know you've got authority over the Wichita economy, and you can take care of things for me. I don't know how you're going to resolve it, but I know you're God, and you're right, and you always keep your word. That is faith. And I just want to ask you one question this morning. I just want to ask you, is it in you? Don't tell me how many Bible studies you've been to. Don't tell me what you've learned about Bible trivia. Don't tell me how many years you've been a member of this church. I'm grateful for all those things, but I just have one question for you. Is it in you? Because God does extraordinary things in the lives of people who have faith. Faith is it. One of the things I like to do is I like to end or incorporate into the message a story, an illustration about somebody who exemplifies what I've been talking about. But purposely today, I don't want to do that. Because the story that matters right now is your story. I don't want to tell you a story about somebody who had faith. I want to talk about you. I want to talk about your life. Is it in you this morning? Do you have it? Because if you do, it will infuse you with power and it will transform your environment. It will transform your circumstances. If you don't have it, you're just like this vacuum cleaner. You may look good, you may be designed well, you may belong to God, but you're just pushing and pushing and pushing and nothing is happening because really when it gets right down to it, the faith you have is in yourself. Now try that on for size. I mean, say, I mean don't say it out loud, but here's the deal. If you have faith in yourself, what you're saying is, I am God, I'm always right, and I always keep my promises. <laughs> How true is that? We're not God. We're not always right. I'm not even right 50% of the time, I don't think. And I sure don't always keep my promises. Faith is saying, I'm not God. God is God. God is right. God always keeps his promises. And I don't know how he's going to work this out, but he's got authority over my circumstances. And when I talk to him, all I have to say is, Lord, all you got to do is speak the word. We're just starting today. This is just our first one. And I hope you're here for the next six weeks as we go through this important series about it. We're going to watch as, as God works in our lives. This is going to be lab time. It isn't just going to be a preacher talking to a congregation. We're going to watch and we're going to measure and see how God develops us during this series. 
But I just want to ask you today, is it in you? You know, not everybody can be LaDainian Tomlinson. Not everybody can be Drew Brees or Peyton Manning. Not everybody can be Jack Welch. Not everybody can have the it that separates you from the rest of the pack in the world. But you know what? The it that matters, anybody can have it. I mean, this centurion proves that. I mean, the, the, the disciples, the guys that Jesus chose to be the leaders of the church, they didn't have it. But here is this Roman guy. And Jesus said, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I want to see. He had it. I want to tell you today, you may not be the most talented person in the world. You may not be the smartest person in the world. You may not be the best looking person in the world. But you can have it. All you got to do is choose to believe that God is God, God is right, and God always keeps his promises. And if you'll live your life that way, you'll have it. It'll separate you from the rest of the pack. It'll infuse you with strength, and you will transform your environment.